This is the Austin Life Church Podcast. For more information, please visit us at austinlifechurch.com. Several universal realities, regardless of cultural background, regardless of, of race or, or sex or um, socioeconomic status, regardless of what kind of family you grew up in, regardless of you know, what kind of skills or hobbies you enjoy, right? You can take the full gamut of the diverse human race, and there's some common realities across the board, yeah? One of those realities is that we're all sinners. No, none of us are perfect. And that's not, I didn't have to, we don't have to talk about like the Christian faith. Everybody knows they're not perfect. Everyone knows, regardless of their faith or, or lack thereof, that they fall short of a perfect standard. They, they don't reach it. The Bible says that that's sin, that when we fall short of God's holy standard, that he is the holy standard and, and the perfect moral compass, and that anytime we divert from that anytime we have thoughts away from that where we want something other than him more than him like that we're sinning that we're believing the lie that has been here from genesis 3 from the very beginning the lie of satan which is hey there's something better than god there's a better option you know better this looks better go that route and the reality that the bible teaches and that we really don't need the bible to affirm it we just know it is we've all we've all done that in small ways and in, and in big ways. We've sinned against God, right? We've sinned against others. We've sinned against the people that we love the most. We've sinned against ourselves. I, I, I believe that there's days coming for all of us where we sin to, to, to magnitudes that we never thought would be possible. We're just, we, we are a, a sinful, with a sinful flesh and nature. And, and the result of that is that oftentimes we can be just chained and shackled down by guilt and by shame. There's definitely disconnection between God and between others, one another. But, but what I've come to believe about God when it comes to, to sin is that God's not surprised by our sin. I don't think God's taken off guard like, oh my gosh, can you believe, can you believe what Bryce did, right? Like, I don't think God is like stumbling backwards, like, how do we recover from this? I don't, I don't think God is like, you know, so, so surprised by our sin, um, I, I, but I do think that, that rather than like being surprised, God does lean in when we sin, not to like inspect our sin or to like, yeah, what is going, you know, what's going on here? But I, I think that God leans in to see how we respond to that sin. I think God expects that we're going to sin. I think God knows that is, he knows our frailty. And, and I don't think that God's like, oh my, what are we doing? I think God's leaning in and going, how, how's she gonna respond to this? Is she going to respond well? I think how we respond even from sin is a great source of joy to God when we respond well. I mean, I think about my kids, right? If any of you are parents, um, or really, if you can just think realistically, no one expects their, parent, their kids to be perfect, right? Like, we, we expect our kids to, to sin. I expect my kids to lie. I expect my kids to be like, here's the boundary, you know, like, like we expect that from our kids. I'm not taken off guard. Like, I expect them to make some stupid choices. I did, you know? But, 
But what gets, like, what gets me really worked up is not that they are humans and sin. What gets me really worked up in a positive way is when they own it and confess it and turn to make amends for what they've done. I get jacked when my kids are like, hey, I, I did this. Right? That, that is something where I'm like, yes. Like, you may be grounded, but yes. Like, I, it's beautiful, right? Like, those are the kind of people we want to hire. Those are the kind of people we want in our lives. The people that can own their mistakes and, and, and repent from them, turn from them, go the other way. Right? Those are people you can trust. Those are people we can feel safe with. And I think we feel that way because I think that's how God feels towards us. I remember the story of what's called the prodigal son, right? And the, the, the younger son, he, what does he do? He sins against his father. He, he's a knucklehead. He, he runs off and he, he lives lavishly and he, he, he checks all the like big sins, whatever those are, right? He, he checks them all and then he hits bottom and he turns and he comes back to the father. And do you remember the story? What does the father do? He runs to him. Not to like slap him or not to push him down, but he embraces him and he kisses him on the cheek and he says, let's throw a party. Come on. Because the father is pumped when we repent. He's not leaning in in, in disappointment at, at our sin. He's leaning in hoping that we'll respond well when we do sin. He knows we're gonna sin. He knows that we're going to to fall down and in ways that honestly will shock us at times but he's leaning in to see okay how, how's he going to respond to this how, how's she going to return from this we all love a redemption story right we all love to see the person and like man they were down and out but gosh look look like because that's how that's how God treats, that's how God sees us. That's his heart for us, is how are we going to respond? Luke 15, 7, Jesus says, I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. I, I wrestled, I wrestled with this thought of, I think God isn't as concerned with our sin as we think he is. Don't get me wrong. God hates sin. Right? Look at the cross. God hates sin. But I think God is more concerned with our repentance. Will, will we turn from our sin? He expects us to stumble. He expects, but I think he's leaning in. There's more joy over the one that repents than the 99 who have it all together. You and I are going to mess up. We're going to sin against God. We're going to sin against one another. We're going to sin against ourselves. And, and it, that's not okay. It's not okay that we sin. But, but it, is ex it is expected. It is human. And no matter what you've done, no matter what mess you've created for yourself, no matter, no matter what hole you've dug and found yourself in, there is a way through. And not to just survive it, but to thrive on the other side of it. 
there's not just a way to, to get through the mess, but to redeem and leverage that for good. To thrive on the other side. And the Bible calls that repentance. Repentance is God's joy in our freedom. Repentance is, is God's joy. I mean, Jesus said it in Luke. And it's also the, the key that unlocks the door to our freedom. Freedom from guilt and shame. That we do a phenomenal job of loading ourselves down with. So what is repentance? Proverbs 28.13 gives us a good verse to kind of define it off of. Proverbs 28.13 says, Whoever conceals his transgression, another word for sin, uh, offense, wrong against God, whoever conceals his transgression will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. Repentance is when we grieve our sin against God and others to the point of humbly confessing it and turning away from the sin and turning towards God as we receive his forgiveness and walk forward toward him in obedience. Repentance is when we get to the point where we grieve the sin that is in front of us so much so that we are willing to completely expose it and to confess it from our lives and turn and seek God for forgiveness and walk towards him in obedience. That, that's what repentance is. It has five things. It has, it has grief, a sorrow for our sin. And then it has a confession, a full and honest confession. And then it's a turning to God for mercy and forgiveness. And then it's a receiving the forgiveness that he's promised us in Jesus and walking forward in obedience. God has no intention of us staying stuck in our sin. None. He has no intention of us confessing it and yet remaining buried under shame and guilt. That's not why Jesus came. God has every intention of us owning our sin and turning to find forgiveness from him and walking forward in freedom and life and abundance. Jesus didn't misspeak when he said that he came that we would have life and have it abundantly. Jesus didn't be like, oh man, I really didn't see them sinning this way. There's not some new sins that we created in 2023 where God's like, well, if you would have sinned in, you know, 23... That'd be different, but your sins now are too great. The invitation from God is repentance. We all sin, thus we all need repentance, and it's God's joy, and it's our freedom. Repentance is beautiful. The, the older I get, the more I know, because I've lived and I know how sinful I am, that I appreciate repentance. I just, that's someone I can link arms with. That's someone I'm like, I don't, I don't care what it is. Let's just be honest about it. We can work with that. We can work with honesty. Repentance is a beautiful gift of God. Now, in case you're thinking, which I have been here, like, nope, this doesn't work for me. I've sinned too greatly. There's, there's sins buried so deeply in the closet in the, my mind and my soul that if they were put on the table like I'd be done if not by everybody else by my own condemnation you know whatever felt that I have 
that dark hole of guilt and shame, and you're thinking, nope, it, doesn't, it, it just doesn't work that easily. Well, Psalm 51 is a gift of hope for us. If, if David can write Psalm 51 and ask for and expect forgiveness from God, so can we. We're, we're in good company. I'm grateful that David was brave and courageous enough to air his dirty laundry for, for generations to see because it reminds me, like, hey, you're, you're, you're human, dude. Like, you're not special. You're not a special sinner. David says in Psalm 51, Starting in verse 1, in the, the second half of verse 1, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. This is a psalm of repentance. It is a cry from the, the deepest, darkest pit David has ever been in, asking for not just like, hey, will you give me probation and let me work my way back into good standard, but like, God, will you wipe the slate clean? Will, will you no longer see me through the lens of my sin? Will you treat me as if my sin never happened? That, that's the prayer that, God, that David is bringing to God. Now, now, to know why we can also pray and ask for forgiveness, it's good to know the context of Psalm 51. Right? So if you look at the prescript, which, which Stephen said last week, it isn't just like you know commentators adding some commentary to Psalm 51. This is in the, the Bible. This is the word of God in the Hebrew text that, that it says at the beginning of Psalm 51. To the choir master, a psalm of David, when Nathan the prophet went to him after he had gone into Bathsheba. So the context of David writing this is after Nathan came to David to confront him because he went into Bathsheba. That's gentle speak for he had sex with Bathsheba. He had an affair with Bathsheba. Bathsheba was not his wife. Bathsheba was his neighbor's wife, Uriah. His neighbor, Uriah, who was away from home because he was fighting David's battles. And David walks out onto his roof one time sees Bathsheba taking a bath, sends his whoever to go get her and bring her back, and David has an affair with Bathsheba. But then to make matters worse, Bathsheba reports back, I don't know, a couple weeks, a month later, and is like, hey, David, um, remember how my husband's been gone uh, away for, for battle? Well, I'm pregnant. Um, you can connect the dots there. The child's yours. And so David, David as as I'm sure you know as, as well as I do, sin starts to pile up, and you're, you're spiraling, right? You're just backpedaling, right? You're trying to fix things and cover things up as best as you can. And so he's like, how am I going to cover this mess up? How am I going to clean this mess up? Idea, Uriah, come back and tell me about, you know, about the battle, how it's going. David's thinking, I'll get Uriah to come back. He'll, he'll go home, spend the night at home, have relations with his wife. No one will know whose kid it is. Well, problem is Uriah is a man of integrity and character and tells David, how am I going to go home and enjoy my wife when my men are sleeping on the ground, dying in, in battle? I can't do that. And so Uriah sleeps on the ground outside the gates of David's castle. And David's like, well, shoot, I can't even get this man to go and, and be with his wife. How am I going to cover this up? Next idea. 
sends Uriah back to battle with a letter in his hand. Uriah is such a man of character, he doesn't even read the letter that is his own death sentence. The letter he hands to his commander, and the letter reads, send Uriah to the front lines of the fight, let it get intense, then retreat back, guaranteeing that Uriah and the other ones on the front lines will die, and then my problem dies with it. David's asking for forgiveness. Shall we recap? Adultery, conspiracy, conspiracy to commit murder, resulting in murder. Right, like, I, I know we've got some, some skeletons in the closet. But, but these check the boxes of just about the worst of them, yeah? And yet David's prayer is, hey, God, Will you let me off of, of the hook before you in such a way that you treat me as if none of that even happened? That's what forgiveness at its completion is. Forgiveness at its completion is I no longer see the, the person through the lens of that offense. I've so removed it from this situation that, that, that it's no longer an impact into our relationship. That's the complete process of forgiveness. And that is what David is asking God for, putting on the table adultery, conspiracy to commit murder, and murder. If David can ask for forgiveness, so can we. If David can come to God pleading for mercy, so can we. Now, what would make David think he can even ask God that question? When he says in, in verse 1, according to your steadfast love, and according to your abundant mercy. David looks at the character of God that he's known his life, and he says, God, you are a God of love and of mercy. You, you are a God who will do what is best for me. You are a God of kindness to, to the greatest of sins. David's confidence is the character of who God is. God, because of who you are, I trust that you will forgive me. And David's confidence, number two, is, is believing how God responds to repentance. God is a God of love and mercy that will not change, but God's love and mercy responds to humble repentance. And that's David's part. That's our part. The God of the Bible, the God that, that David re seeks for forgiveness is a God of love and mercy, but God's love and mercy is poured out to those who come to him in humble repentance. That's David's part. That, that's our part. So, so what does that repentance look like then? Well, this is what we see in Psalm 51. It's, it's, a, it's a blueprint for what repentance looks like. The first thing we said is that repentance is when we genuinely grieve and have sorrow over our sin towards God. Repentance starts in the heart. If we do all the external things, but our heart doesn't genuinely grieve our sin, it's only a matter of time before we're right back in it. But if I confess to my wife about how awful I've been and I do all of these things, but my heart isn't genuinely grieved, I'm just going to be awful to her again. A repentance, genuine repentance, starts with a true grief and sorrow of our sin towards God and then towards other. It starts with a brokenness over the, the, the disgustingness of our sin against God. 
I mean, David writes down in 17, right? The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, God, you will not despise. God's not first and foremost interested in David doing all the actions, going to church and, and, and confessing his sins to the pastor and, and saying this or doing that and cleaning up his life. God is first and foremost concerned with David's and with your and my broken and humble heart before him for the sin we've committed against him. That's where, that's where God starts. Do we grieve our sin? Are we genuinely sorry for the sin that we've committed against God? And David says in verses 3 through, through 6, we see the, the grief and the confession that follows. He says, I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. He says, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. But God, behold, you delight in truth, in the inward being. You teach me wisdom in the secret heart. David's broken over his lack of integrity internally. And his sin against God. It's interesting, right, that David says, Against you and you only have I sinned. Are you finding that interesting? Because let's think about that. We could make a list of the people that David has sinned against, right? His own wife, his own kids, Bathsheba, Uriah, their families, the nation of Israel, his military, the commander that he had co-conspire with him because of his role and rank, right? We could run the list of people that really David needs to sit down and give personal apologies to. But, but David says, against you and you only have I sinned. It's not because David doesn't know his sin against others. It's because David knows that sin always starts vertically and then moves horizontally. If, if I have an affair, it's because I first chose to love myself over God. That's the first commandment. To love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Well, if I choose to go have an affair, I have neglected what God told me to do, and then I have horizontally acted on that. Right? If I lie so that I can manipulate people into giving me money, right, that, that's a love for money rather than a love for God, which then moves me horizontally to mistreat people. David knows that sin begins first with a sin against God that then moves us horizontally. Repentance begins first with repentance to God, and if that is genuine, it will move us horizontally. But it starts with the heart that is made right before God. It starts with a confession and repentance to God. One counterfeit of repentance, of, God, of, of godly sorrow, is self-pity or self-hatred. Shame and guilt is not godly. So often, and, and this is, I, I've encountered, we, we sin and we're convicted of that, but our grief is more of what it means to us. The, the cause and effect of what's going to happen to my name or my reputation or the embarrassment or humiliation I'm feeling. And before we moved here, um, I, I, I sinned against Stephanie in a way that, that hurt her deeply. Th there's a saying among pastors that uh, the church often becomes your mistress. And, and that's what happened with me and Stephanie. I was giving all my time and affection and attention to the church, and I was neglecting her as my wife. I was building these relationships with people that, 
were good until they became ultimate and and i started giving my my affection to the church more more than her and when she confronted me on that i was broken and and grieved but it took a long time for that grief to actually be godly i was broken for how i hurt god and how i hurt stephanie at first i was just humiliated i was embarrassed i had this image of who i should be as a pastor and i had failed that image I was afraid of, well, what's this going to look like now for my reputation? What's this going to look like for my ministry? I'm going to have to pull back so I can, you know, recalibrate with Stephanie, but now that's going to make things weird over here, and that's what drove my initial thoughts, really, of how the sin hurt me, not how it hurt God, not how it hurt Stephanie. On the outside, though, you'd be like, this guy's broken over his sin. It appeared like there was a godly sorrow, but really, if I drilled down into it, my, my chief concern was how it made me feel. How the disconnection with me and Stephanie made, made me feel. Self-pity, wallowing in shame and guilt, it's sneaky because it looks like we're being remorseful but it's about us. It's about how I feel. Godly sorrow is broken over the hurt that it causes God and over the hurt that it causes others. I'll put off shame and guilt so that I can better care for the ones that I've hurt. I delayed Stephanie's healing because she was concerned about me. I was the one that sinned against her. But I was so covered in shame that, that she was having to care for me rather than process and work through her own healing. Godly grief starts with a brokenness. The repentance starts with a, a brokenness for our sin against God and against others. Genuine repentance then moves to a full and honest confession. All right, David says, I, I know my transgressions. My sin is ever before me. He, he's taken the full sin and he's put it on the table before him. He's like, all right, here it is. He, he's so grieved and, and disgusted with his sin. He wants nothing to do with it that he puts it all out there. Confession is humanity's way of, of, of ridding ourselves of the sin. 1 John 1, 9 says that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of all of our unrighteousness. Repentance involves full and honest confession. I, I'm so grieved by the sin I've caused against God and others, I, I'm not going to hold part of it back. I'm not going to keep holding on to some of it. That's again what? That's about me. That's, a, that's called manipulation. That's called trying to control the fallout. That's thinking about myself rather than doing anything and everything to rid myself of this disgusting sin. Real repentance must have full and honest confession. If, if we can't do that, we haven't fully grasped the weight of our sin against God and our sin against others, but, but we're willing to hold on to part of the poison that has infected those around us. That's not loving. That's not repentance. Real confession also doesn't minimize or blame shift. I've done this. Well, sure, I lost my temper, but I was provoked. 
I'm responsible for me. I, I, well, sure, I was dabbling on websites I shouldn't dabble on, but I was let down. If there's ever a, a but in our confession, it, it's not full and complete. If I ever minimize it, I hear this one a lot, right? I'm not gossiping, I'm just venting. No, that's slander. That's gossip, right? Or how about this? Someone confronts you and your first response is, let me explain myself. I'm not defending myself, I'm, ex I'm explaining myself. Right? But that's an immediate like, oh no, no, let me not be concerned with how I made you feel. Let me explain myself so that you see I wasn't in the wrong. That, that's minimizing. That's not an honest confession. That's trying to protect our own image and our own ego. Repentance is so grieved by the sin. We want nothing to do with it. Here, take, it's all, that's it. It's all, everything. Search me through and through, every corner, every nook and cranny. There it is. I will hold nothing back and hide nothing back because I want nothing to do with this. Repentance involves godly sorrow and full confection. The next part of repentance we see in verses 7 through 12, and that's turning to God for forgiveness and mercy. It's possible for us to confess everything, but now what do we do? What, what do we do with the load that we just dumped on the table? Right? What, who do we turn to? What's going to happen with that? Oftentimes we, we turn to one of two sources other than God, we turn to ourselves or we turn to others to, to let us off the hook. Here's all of my mistakes. Now I'm gonna work myself back into good standing. I'm gonna measure up. I'm gonna get it right this time. What's gonna make me justified, what's gonna make me worthy again because of my mistakes is when I prove myself. When I hustle and make things right problem is we're just not strong enough to keep it up we can't let ourselves off the hook another one we turn to is others here it is i've confessed and everything's on here now i'm only free once you forgive me i'm only free once once you do your part but now again we're looking to someone else to be our savior and we're putting a pressure and a weight on them that they may not be ready to handle yet now, if we're a Christian, we are called to forgive and to forgive as Christ has forgiven us. Y'all, we could talk a long time about that because that is deep and profound. But that's a process, right? When someone wounds us deeply, if we're talking abuse or trauma or betrayal or neglect, forgiveness is the, the moment of saying, God, I will commit to the ongoing process to walk this out as long as it takes. Right, yes, I will forgive this person, and now it's going to take three years of therapy and working myself through that process until I can truly not see them through that lens. I've got, I've got people I'm five years in the process of where it's like, oh, shoot. I didn't know I still resented that person until this came up. You know what I'm talking about? Y'all had something like that? 
dang i i didn't know that when i was seven years old that 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 left a mark that lingers into my 30s forgiveness is a it's a moment we say god i will commit to this but it's a process that i'm committing to i will not stop until you work it out in me sometimes that takes a long time y'all But we can't expect, we can't repent and then expect the only way for us to be free is if others forgive us. We can't, we, we can't do that. We can't expect that from others. And David, he turns to God for forgiveness. He gives immediate 12 requests in a row. God, I hate my sin. It's ever before me. Here it is, all of it. And then he rattles off 12 back-to-back-to-back-to-back requests. Purge me with hyssop I shall be clean wash me and I shall be whiter than snow let me hear joy and gladness let the bones that you have broken rejoice hide your face from my sins blot out all my iniquities create in me a clean heart O God and renew a right spirit within me cast me not away from your presence take not your Holy Spirit from me restore to me the joy of your salvation uphold me with a willing spirit David's hope for freedom on the other side of repentance is not his own strength. And it's not the forgiveness of Bathsheba or their families or his own wife. It's God's forgiveness. God, change my heart. God, make me clean. God, wash me. God, I need your forgiveness first. I need, I need it from you before anyone else. God, only you can make me clean and right now, why would David do this? He said again, because of your love and mercy. David's confidence was in the character of God. If David were writing that psalm today, though, I think David would say, because of your son, Jesus Christ, wash me clean and forgive me. See, David was looking ahead. David was looking to the day when, when, when the Messiah would come to bring forgiveness. We get to look back and see it. We get to see Emmanuel, God with us. When we come to God with our full sins, we can be confident that he will forgive us because of what he has already done in Jesus. First John, uh, ch- sorry, for, uh, first Peter. First Peter chapter three, verse 18 says, Christ also suffered once for sins the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit. And then a couple pages over, in 1 John chapter 2, verse 1, it says, John says, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin, but if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. We can be confident in God's forgiveness because of Jesus. When we trust in Jesus, Jesus is our advocate. An advocate is someone who advocates for you, who speaks on your behalf, right? Who, who stands up in your place. So if we think of a, of a courtroom and, and you have a defendant on trial and you've got the judge sitting there, who's doing the conversing with the judge? The lawyer. Someone said lawyer. Thank you, Charlie. The, the advocate, the defendant is not speaking on their behalf to the judge, their advocate is. 
The Bible says that Jesus is our advocate, that when we stand before God and we ask for forgiveness, and he says, why should I forgive you? Jesus doesn't even give us a chance to speak. Jesus says, I got this. You forgive them because of me. You forgive them because I paid for their sins. You forgive them because I rose from the dead and I am their advocate. And the father says, do I forgive them again? And Jesus says, again. And he says, again. And he says, again. Over and over and over, Jesus never sits down as our advocate. But he is always advocating on our behalf, pointing to the cross. Why do I forgive them? Because I died for them. Because I... The righteous died for the unrighteous. Their sins are, are paid for in full. Right? It said in, in, in 1 Peter, he died once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous. He didn't die for the sins we've committed up to this point, but the, the rest are up to us. He didn't die for the ones that are of this magnitude, but this magnitude, well, that's on us. No, no, Jesus took the full record of debt and nailed it to the cross. And when we trust him, he is our advocate. When the Father looks at us, he's looking at Jesus. He's looking to Jesus. What do we, how do we declare him? What do we say about her? And Jesus says, she's mine. He's with me. That means every single time we come to God, forgiveness is already there. We're not hoping for it to be there. God's just waiting for us to turn and receive it. It's already there. There's zero reason for us to remain in guilt and shame because of Jesus. It's settled. We can be free. Because Jesus rose from the dead and is advocating on our behalf today. Now, what, an, what an insult to the cross and resurrection of Jesus for us to remain in shame from our sin. But what, what an insult to the gift, y'all. That's our confidence. Which leads to the fourth part of forgiveness, and that's receiving the forgiveness that Jesus has already paid for. Sometimes this is the hardest part, right? To actually believe that whatever mess we just threw out on the table, that God, by Jesus, will choose to no longer see us through that lens. That's, that's not how humanity works. Right? It's a process for us, but God, by Jesus, is able to go, you're repenting? It's gone that obstacle that divides us. Gosh, so many times I sin and it takes me forever to get back to like, okay, I can go sit before God because I'm like, he is just so disappointed with me. Not when he's looking at me through Jesus. Are y'all grabbing that? We look at ourselves and we're so embarrassed and we're so, so ashamed and God looks at Jesus and is like, this is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. Oh, gosh, that we would learn to, to know how God the Father sees us. It'll change everything. When he looks at us through Jesus, when we trust Jesus, we receive the forgiveness. If we sit here today and say, man, I don't, I don't know that I can receive the forgiveness, then we also have to say the cross of Christ was not enough.
but it is. The cross of Christ is enough. The last thing we do in repentance, so we grieve the sin, we confess the sin, we turn to God for hope, we receive his forgiveness, and then we walk the other way in obedience. Remember what Proverbs 28 said? To the one that confesses sin and forsakes it, Right? If I confess my sin, oh, Stephanie, I'm so sorry that I did that, but I don't turn away and actively do the opposite, that's not repentance. Right? That's some form of self-medication. Repentance involves, God, I'm so sorry that I, I didn't share your love with others. I will turn to you, receive your forgiveness, and go and share your love with others. If there's no follow-through of obedience, not perfection, right? This journey is going to happen a lot. How we know we're growing is when we're quicker to repent and the space between needing to repent is less and less. Does that make sense? Growth is not, it's not like, oh, well, I'm perfect now. We're never going to get there. Growth is I'm quicker to get rid of my sin when I realize it, and I'm also less frequently to be in sin. But we're always going to be doing this process of turning. Okay, God, I'm going to walk in obedience. Crap, failed again. God, I, I admit this. This is not what I want to do. I trust you. Here we go, right? And it's this constant dance. Two steps forward, one step back. Two steps forward, one step back. But then we look four years down the road, and we're like, dang, I'm, I'm like net 50 steps. That's a, that's a win. It's only not a win when we're like, I should be net 100 steps. Like, oh, come on. Right, like I, I, think, I think that made me think about like our kids, right? When, you, when your kids are starting to walk, like they're, they're, they're babies, they, they don't know how to walk, and next thing you know, right, they stand up and they take like two steps and then they fall down. How many parents are like, it, that should have been 10 steps. You loser. Right? Zero. What are you, what are you doing as parents? He's walking. He's walking, do it again, do it again, do it again, do it again, right? And then they take three steps, and it's like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. And then, and then they someone they're like down to one step, but it doesn't matter, they're walking. Like the parent is freaking out because the, the kid's not running laps. The kid's not like jumping hurdles. The kid's like wobbling two or three steps, and a parent is losing their marbles, right? Am I right? You with me? That's how father, our father sees us. Like he's, not, he's not like, oh man, they went two steps forward and one step back. It should have been four steps forward and zero steps back. No, he's like, yes. Come on, get up, keep going. Let's go. We're so, this is what the devil wants for us. We're so dadgum brutal on ourselves. The devil wants us stuck in our sin and our guilt and our shame rather than celebrating the grace of God to forgive us of all of our sins and, and to give us another chance to move forward. Y'all, come on. It's, it's, not, it's not honoring to God for us to stay stuck. I'm not saying it's gonna be easy, y'all. Sometimes we gotta talk it out, we gotta work it out with people. It's a process, but, but even saying, I'm getting in the process, like I'm getting in the game, and God's like, yes! Right? Just how we would be with any of our kids. Man, our kids come back, and they're like, I'm still a mess. We're like, I don't care. Like, come on, let's go. It's like the father did with the son when he comes home. He wasn't like, hey, you got to prove yourself now, bucko. No. Let's kill the fat calf. Let's have a party. He was lost, and now he's home. I guarantee you that son messed up again. 
But that's not how the Father sees us, not when he looks at us through Jesus. The key to God's joy and our freedom is repentance. We're going to stumble. We're going to sin. We're going to surprise ourselves sometimes with how much we sin. And God's like, please don't stay there. Don't sit in the shame. Jesus died for the sin, the shame. Hebrews, Hebrews 12. For the joy set before him, Christ endured the cross, despising its shame. Our shame has already been paid for. We don't have to stay in it, y'all. Or let's just go ahead and say, like, no, nah, that, that, didn't, that didn't count. I'm too great of a sinner. Have y'all ever read the Bible? We got David, Moses, got murder on his track record. Paul, got many skeletons in his closet, literally. Right? Like, there's room for us. There's room for us. And if there's not, then the cross of Christ was not enough. Jesus really came that we would have abundant life in his presence. And that's going to involve repentance. And repentance is not a bad thing. We're all going to fall, but we're not all going to repent. It's a beautiful picture of faith in God and his kindness to forgive us. My hope, my prayer, no one will leave here today without having confessed and repented anything and everything to God. And listen, sometimes if we're confessing to God, it will move us to have to confess to others. And that's hard sometimes. And there's consequences with that sometimes. But the only possible outcome of the beautiful life that we want is down the path of repentance. It's God's joy and it's our freedom. And Jesus has paid for it in full. Thanks for tuning in to the Austin Life Church Podcast. To help support us, please take a second to rate and review us on iTunes and visit us at austinlifechurch.com.